Hello, welcome to the Tangible Hope Podcast, Episode 2. Today we're going to talk about student debt crisis, the return on degree, and how we might solve the problem. My name is Willie Elliott, professor at the University of Michigan, and my co-host, Melinda Lewis, professor of practice at the University of Kansas. If you find this episode informative, please hit the like button and subscribe. So, Willie, you and I are both in higher education, and we both have children who are in college or approaching college. So I bet you're like me. Anytime someone finds out what I do for a living um, or hears that I've got kids who are getting ready to go to college, they want to talk about student debt, their own debt that they're still trying to pay off, uh, what their children are likely to encounter when they enroll, um, and what I think we should do in policy to deal with the cost of college uh, and the crushing weight that so many people experience with their own student indebtedness. So I'd like us to talk about how I can respond uh, to people who ask me, what are we going to do about our student debt crisis? Do you think there is a crisis in student debt? And if there is a student debt problem in this country, what is that problem? And what should we insist that policymakers do about it? And this is something that uh, has also, you know, as you said, impacted my life as well. I, you know, I relied heavily on student debt to uh, get my undergrad degree, ended up having to go uh, into the military at a later age afterwards to pay back my student loans from my undergrad. And, and it's a side note. It's kind of interesting. When you go into the military um, and, you know, uh, I remember going in and getting my physicals and stuff and talking to the nurse. And she was like, because the recruiter told me, go in as an enlisted person and then, you know, you can pay back your student loans. But she said, uh, you know, don't don't listen to him. Uh, because you should go in as an officer. You'll make a lot more money. You'll have a lot more privileges. And interestingly, you, you to be an officer in the, in the military, you have to have a uh, college degree, right? But to, to qualify for the military uh, repayment plan, you have to go in as an enlisted. And so it, it, this is this is part of our whole system in a sense. So low income person is the one who's going to be relying on student loans. And, and so they're going to be forced into being an enlisted person to pay back their loans while they require a degree in the first place to be an officer. And so, you know, I, I didn't I didn't listen to her and because the student loans were, were first foremost on my mind, which also also tells you a little something about student loans. Right. right. Just how they drive your decision making process. Um, in, in many different at many different points during your life and in, in my life. And so so I went as an enlisted and, and you know, you make um, I went as a corporal. I became a corporal and because I was uh, I had a college degree, I could become a corporal, but I made far less money. I, I, I didn't get the clothing allowances. I didn't get the travel money. I didn't get the, the chance for moving up the ranks in the same way. Uh, and and then they don't tell you is which is something that's going to be tied in later to income based repayment plans is when um, they pay back your loans. I owed like $40,000 at the time. Okay. And when they pay back your loans, they charge you taxes on it, right? And so and they pay it back in two large payments. And so it's quite quite significant tax amount for someone who's making a corporal's pay, which is next to, to nothing, right? 
Uh, and, and so when that big, you know, uh, I ended up paying back a large portion of myself in, in a tax payment. Right. And so they don't, they don't tell you any of that. And so really the lady was a hundred percent right that I should have went as an officer. I would have made far more money being able to pay back my loans that way, as opposed to being taxed so heavily when the time came. And the same thing happens to people when they pay back the income rebate, uh, uh, income based repayment plans and stuff, you get this large amount of money that's being paid back and then you're taxed on it. So, um, yeah, that, I think that was just interesting to to kind of think about how that works and, and how our system at every stage is kind of treating low income people different, giving them a different set of options and that how student loans affect their career trajectory and the decisions they make in them and that has long term impact on the amount of money they can earn and wealth they can build because of the decisions they're making based on student loans. Yeah, like get into the I have yeah. to. I have to say, I forgot your original question, but I had such much, so much fun with that. No, I mean, well, what what happens to me when I have these conversations, and my story is obviously different, um, so I, you know, have a somewhat different response. But what happens then is that people usually go to, well, so do, don't you agree that college should be free? Right. If we have a problem with student debt, then so many people think what we should do is, is make college free, especially if somewhat differently than your experience. But many people have had less than optimal experiences with um, loan forgiveness and you know income based repayment. Um, I, I've had heard a lot of folks say, you know, there was this and this and this um, rule that I had to follow in order to get um, into a particular repayment or forgiveness plan. And so a whole lot of folks then go straight to like, it should be free. So usually it's a bit of a hard, um, pivot for me to help people understand that in fact, there's something perhaps we should be doing to prevent student debt rather than, um, deal with it on the back end. So how do you, like, what's better than free, right? You have a, a report where you're talking about like doing, um, asset-based um, paying for college is, is better than free, but how do, you, how do we help people understand why it's better uh, and what we should really be doing about student debt in our country? And, and I think this goes back to your first question, which I now remember, and it's whether or not we have a crisis or not. Yeah. And so these things tie in together. So typically, in, in the fact that we, you know, that we had a, uh, uh, that the, and it really happened under Trump's administration that there was a, a a stay on paying back your payments right and it wasn't until recently that people had to start remaking their payments on their student right. loans and but but the point of what i was getting at is it's a crisis so we see the crisis oftentimes as whether people are defaulting on their loans is, is one way we think about the student loan crisis we think about the amount of debt it's like 1.7 trillion dollars in in student loan debt it's the second highest i mean mortgages are yep. are higher right. in, in amount of consumer debt and so these are the kinds of things we think about about when we have a crisis on the other end on the enrollment end, which this is all going to tie into free college in, in a second we think of the crisis as being uh, one about access to education. And when we think about access to education, we think about it solely in terms of do children, do these young adults have money to pay for college, right? Do they, can they pay their tuition? This is where the free college point comes in as well, is that if we see the, the, the primary problem, first of all, as to whether or not someone has access to college, 
and access is about whether or not they can pay for college. It doesn't matter if they use student loans or whatever else. It just matters that they have money to pay for it. I would also suggest to you that this is also the way we think about our financial aid is from an income approach, right? Even free college is, is a type of income approach to, to financial aid. And what I mean by that is, again, because we're thinking about it as a problem of a lack of flow of income, right? And so how do we increase that income so they can pay for college? How, how, when I say income here, I mean like a flow and that they, how can I purchase a good at this moment, right? Assets, when we think about assets, it's about storing for a long-term future. And I say that we don't have any perspective on assets with regard to uh, financial aid and finance in college. And so we think about it from this very income-ish type of approach. And so it doesn't matter that we're, that students are using student loans to pay for college. It only matters that they have money to pay for college, right? Even though the evidence is very murky, even on the question of whether or not access to student loans has actually improved access to college. Um, it's very mixed on that. And so- Willie, can I ask uh, something? I want to understand this. Is that because of some of those like kind of psychological effects that you described in your own experience um, of how the- the specter of having to repay student debt influenced your like intimate decisions about how you were going to approach your military service and the financial decisions. Is that what happens that would mean that having the promise of a like promissory note, the promise of a debt doesn't increase access to college? Because it, it does make sense, right? If if someone has a credit card, it increases their access to purchasing things. So then it, I do understand how policymakers would think that a student loan would increase access to college. Is it those psychological effects that we think might be explaining some of the breakdown in the evidence that we have on that question? No, absolutely. There's research that looks at kind of people's how likely they are to take out student loans. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it really is two groups, right? There, there's the group that is, you know, reluctant to take out student loans because of the fear of debt. And I think that group has grown some just given all the conversation around student loans. And that, in, 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 yeah, so we need to get into several things, but, 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 but then there is another group like me who sees college as their only way out, kind of speaking. And so they're willing to take on any amount of debt in order to achieve college because they see it as their only way out. But with regard to access and why student loans haven't been as, you know, haven't been found to be as good for increasing access to college is because particularly, and it's usually minorities that are, that are most loan, you know, uh, weary in a of sense. Course, so yeah. Hispanics are the, the largest group, Latina X and Hispanics are the largest group that are that are that are most scared of taking out loans, and then African Americans uh, fall in really two different groups. One group that is very like most likely to take out student loans, and another group that is very wary of taking out student loans. And so, it, again, you build in inequality again, right? So, as I talked about with regard to low income kids and going into the military, they're given these two tracks and almost pushed into the one. With regard to student loans and going to college we see it again, right? We either are going to make them heavily indebted because they're gonna to have to overly rely on student loans, or there's a whole group of them who are not gonna enroll in college in the first place and choose another path because they're afraid of taking on that debt because of all the stories they hear from their, their, their you know, in the community about going to college and not being able to get the kind of job that will help them pay back for their loans. And, it's, and so going back to the crisis piece of this again, and all this 
flows into this. I mean, we, we I don't think we fully understand how much student loans have changed the narrative around college in its utility in post-secondary education utility for our our children. And it's tremendously damaging to um, really the whole American system. But with regard to the crisis, so we have focused on access. And so things like student loans and now the free college movement have become very, very much on the forefront that we see as real solutions to the problem. But the problem isn't only what I would suggest even primarily that people giving people access to college and their ability to pay for college. It really is about what you get on the other side. It's the return to degree. And, that's, and, that, and nobody has recognized that as the real crisis, or very few have. And that really is the real crisis we're experiencing because in our system, you know, education has been called the great equalizer in society. We, we spend billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars on education every year. And, and one of the reasons why we believe that there is this meritocracy and that it's about effort and ability. And if you just put your effort in school and tell our kids work hard in school, you'll be able to make it. It's because we believe that education in the end will pay off, right? And, and that's so, the, 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 the belief in the American dream, while downplayed by liberals and conservatives sometimes in, in today's society, is, is instrumental to people buying into the system, being willing to put up with all kinds of different things because they believe in the end of the day that if they just work hard and work hard in school in particular as one major path, that they can change their life course. And that belief allows them to endure poverty and all kinds of other things because they think they can change their life. And so the return on degree is, and student loans have greatly impacted it, right? And in the sense of when I leave college now, uh, I not only have to get a job that pays me enough to give me a, a better life, I have to get me a job that pays me enough to pay back my student loans too, right? And, and what we know about that is, is that when I have student debt, I am, a, as I already described with my choice in the military, it affects the job career choices you make. It also affects things like whether or not I buy a house early on, whether or not I start saving for retirement early on. I might, I, when I have loans, I don't feel like I'm in a position to begin doing those things, excuse me, so I delay doing that. There's the perception that's really important in, in people's psyche about whether or not they can begin to start a family. We, there's evidence showing that, that they don't start a family uh, as young and, and, and families and being married is, is an important way in our economic system for building income, wealth, and all these things. And so we see this, um, crisis really is around the fact that people no longer believe that education as much. There's still a lot of people who do, but it's been weakened in, in, a, in, a, in a substantial way that education pays, that the risk of education is much higher than not getting education, right? And so we have to make education less risky for people, in, which means on the front end, having different ways to finance it so they don't end up in debt and stuff. But then on the back end, we also have to make sure that they're getting enough return on that degree when looking at people like them. So college graduate compared to college graduate, if it's going to be an equalizer, do they achieve the same kinds of outcomes economically 
as uh, someone without debt. So the student with debt, can they can achieve the same kind of outcome as a student without debt later in life? Not only that, even if they don't have debt, does a student who's low income and low wealth achieve the same kinds of outcomes of the graduate who has a similar degree, but has some wealth to start off life? And I, you know, I think this is one place where our stories have really helped some people understand that. Uh, people might know, not know that both Melinda and I are, went to Washington University in St. Louis, which is a fairly prestigious uh, college, number one ranked, one of, you know, number one ranked uh, school in social work, uh, them in Michigan. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and, and we both graduated from there, but, we, but because of our way we finance our education, because of the fact of whether we had wealth to begin our lives, it, you know, it took a very much, whole lot longer for me to a, pay off my loans. I'm actually a beneficiary of the new Biden policy to finally get my loans uh, uh, fully paid off. I've been paying on them for, you know, I don't know, 18, 19 years now. And, um, and, and they finally, you know, got the remainder balance paid off through the oh, wow. recent uh, passage. So it, 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 every it, funny thing about that is, is every day my wife and I have woke up for the last two weeks since we found that out, like we mentioned it, we're like, man, we, we, we don't have to, you know, we, we don't have any more student debt. Like we, we think, oh, well, maybe we can you know, do a little something different on our house. And, and to think, I mean, really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm being totally sincere. It's like, it's amazing how much you think about that every day of your life when you have it and uh, how to get out from under it. And we've been making payments for a long time, but the problem is when you're doing the income-based repayment plans and there have been periods, like when we started off, people think, oh, you're a professor, you must be making lots of money. Well, you know, I started off making $60,000 a year. So, um, <laughs> and, and then when I, I got the big raise. I went to seventy thousand, which is is decent money. It's just not poverty. But you know, I was one hundred and twenty thousand dollars in debt from my student loans. I had you know three kids, uh, so and so sixty thousand dollars of money. And then we went through the Great Recession, uh, and on all those things. And then I have a mother in, in in who you know is is my my sister is handicapped, and so and they grew up you know just in, in extreme poverty. And so I have to send them money all the time. So $60,000 doesn't go where you think it goes. And there's no assets, right? There's only only debt that you have. And uh, and so paying off those student loans, we had to take times and forbearance and stuff. Whether there was hardships going on, whether it's a great recession or whatever else, and we couldn't, couldn't make payments. And so we went into forbearance. At the meantime, our loans were still going up. Right. And this is a great phenomenon that many people were, have experienced in student with student loans is that they owe more over time than they started off with, right? So they end up owing more. This research shows us that um, that people ten years later owe more. Most a lot of people owe more on their debt even after paying on it because of the interest rate, because of having to take forbearance at certain times, and that interest still growing on them. Uh, they end up owing more even though they're paying for. Them. That can just be just a tremendous weight on an individual. 
Well, well, I'm so glad to hear your experience with Biden's um, executive action um, to provide debt forgiveness, because most of my conversations in the last couple of weeks have been questions about, you know, it's, it's not very much money. Nine billion dollars is not that much um, compared to the total um, student indebtedness in the country. And are we targeting the right people? Um, because, you know, public uh, service workers um, and those on disability are, are clearly among those identified as the most deserving in our country. But it's not necessarily the people who are the most likely to struggle under the weight of their loans. We know that people can have pretty small balances, um, but if they have not completed a degree or you know, if they're dealing with other kinds of challenges. So like I said, I, I'm interested in talking just a little bit. I know that we um, have ideas about preventing debt rather than responding to it. But, but in the meantime, and your story so powerfully illustrates this, we do have people who need some debt relief. So I'd love to hear from you before we then talk about on, on the front end, what should we be doing? Like, do you think that these um, initial actions are, are targeting the right people? Like, what should we do? Um, you know, in addition to help Willie, like um, agreed. Um, but what should what should policy look like today to provide some interim response, especially to try to shift the narrative? Because I really appreciate what you said that it's not just the tangible relief that um, a debt forgiveness can provide, but a bit changing the comparison group that students and families are looking to as they ask the question, is college a good idea for us? Um, and, and we know that that story that people are telling themselves about the role of higher education in improving their chances matters um, for shaping other people's outcomes. Like, what, what should we be doing for relief now? And then let's talk about how we might um, design a way to pay for college that works for what higher education does today and the role that we want it to play in our society. But, but what, what about now? So I heard several questions in there. So we'll start off with um, uh, Biden, or is Biden's administration targeting the right people? Yeah. And, and, and that's a very, I want to be, so they started off with a policy that was struck down by the Supreme Court to really provide all student right. loan recipients under certain income thresholds, 125,000, or if it's single and 250,000, if it's a family, um, that they would receive $20,000 of student loan relief, right? And so that would affect far, far more people. But the Supreme Court said they overreached and then they couldn't do that. And so, so A, we're, as with all of our policies nowadays, we're left to presidential action. Right. When it really needs to be, you know, congressional action where the Senate and, you know, the House of Representatives are participating in crafting a plan. And some would say, well, well, he needs to negotiate with them, but they won't do anything. And so and that's on everything. And that's for the last several presidents. Right. We can pick whatever one you want. Most of what we've been able to accomplish is through um, presidential action. Right. And so they're trying to craft a way to help as many people as they can understanding that no they're not targeting the ideal group or everyone they want to they're targeting who they can yeah okay. and so in the last one uh their, their their last version of it uh they you know provided loan forgiveness to 
people who were in the income-based repayment plan for 20 or 25 years, right? And so I think that's a fair group to work with and politically too, because that means they've been paying on it for, a, for an extended period of time. And so, yes. And so I, I don't think, you know, ideally we would forgive all loans. And so what's the, what, one of the barriers to forgiving all loans is the idea and the perception that if we forgive loans, we'll only have to do it again 10 years from right. now. And so I think this does get into your other questions, right? And so it, do we have to finance college with student loans in the first place? Is that a good idea? And if we could think of both short-term solutions to uh, financing education and, and, and kind of the student debt problem, uh, more or less treating the symptoms, right? We don't want to see people um, not able to save, uh, going into default, like these things are alarming in the paper and so forth and so on. So we need to address those kind of what I would call symptoms of, of the student loan program in the first place. But then we also need a long-term strategy that allows us to make sure that we don't have to do this again in 10 years, right? So if we need to act on both ends. And um, I don't know if it's, we could talk about that soon on what, what do we think of as our strategies for doing that. Um, and free college is one of those, right? Free college is one way that people could think about uh, if college is now free, you can imagine a world in which um, there won't be students in debt 10 years from now and you won't have to redo this. And so that frees you then to make this one-time forgiveness type thing and, and change that. But there, there, are, there are limitations to, to it. And that goes back to when we, how we got into student loans in the first place. We thought we only had a problem of paying for college, right? And so it didn't matter on how we paid for college, it only mattered that that students could pay for college. And I really say that free college is the same same thing. And here's how. Well, A, what we know from Sweden and other places who have free college programs is that uh, students still build up debt. They have as much debt coming out in Sweden as, as we have here. Why? Because low-income kids experience other problems than tuition. They have to, right. you know, get to school. Right. They have to have housing. They have to eat, you know, that, that's still something they need to do. And all these things end up uh, creating bills for them and right. in, 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 in taking out more debt. So so it's not a panacea in that way. Also, in many of the versions that are in the U.S., it's kind of that military thing again, where we treat low-income people differently. What I mean by that is, hey, low-income kid, we're either telling them you could only go to a public college and you can't go to a private college because we're only going to make public colleges free, even if it's four years. And so even though they might be the brightest, smartest kid whose who's record and effort says you should be in Harvard. And we all know Harvard's different than the University of Michigan, even, which is a, what's a high ranked um, school. And so let's not be naive about that. And it, it makes a difference. But it, or we're telling them even worse, we're saying, hey, we're going to make two year colleges free. And so we're going to say, hey, hey, poor kid who's worked really hard, who's done everything, you're going to go to a, a two-year college, which we know people are much likely to, less likely to transition into four-year colleges. We put them on a different career path, not because of their effort. This is what's so American about this. This is not a liberal conservative issue because we, we, we believe that the people that should be rewarded are those who put the work and effort in. But we have a system that's not doing that in every stage and in every way, whether it's joining the military and serving your country, you get a different path, a different route, or whether it's, you know, going to college, we're telling them 
early on, hey, counselor sitting out of the kid. Hey, because there's so much student debt out there, poor kid, you need to go to a two-year college and you should do this or that instead of going where, you know, you should, you know, your abilities say you should go. So these, these are deep systematic problems that free college, the other part with free college, and I'll, and I'll, see, I'll let you get back in, is that it, it doesn't prepare kids for college in the way that some other things could do. So it's not that free college is bad, but we, we're not just asking ourselves which is less evil or, 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 or not as bad. We're also asking ourselves what, what would put us in the best position for our kids to succeed. And so that's, that's where I lie on that. So, so it sounds like the reason that you have said in a variety of places that there's something better than free college is in part because free doesn't necessarily really mean free. Um, because what we see in terms of the actual policy proposals for, quote, free college are often only for this type of institution or only for these particular students or only tuition. And that's not free in the way that people might believe because free college has got a great brand, right? People see that and that in fact is you know seized upon as the solution. So partly what's better is something that would truly um, take the financing of higher education a bit off the table in shaping people's decisions um, and then charting a life course. But this other piece sounds like, uh, and I know my read on the research is that it's also because of what happens before and after college, that there's something better than free. So let's, can you dig into that a bit? Um, I know you have some, some additional new research and analysis coming out out on return on degree that, you know, we'll make sure that people can see and, and um, have a look at for themselves. But can you talk a bit about how um, changing how we pay for college, not debt and not this like with a bunch of strings attached, quote, free, but changing the way we pay for college could um, change preparation in advance, um, return on the back end, and then ultimately make people have a reason, a concrete reason to believe that higher education can make their kids and their own lives better. Well, absolutely. Um, and so I'll start off just, I also think when, in, in remember back in the beginning, I said kind of the, the, the real crisis is is not the access to college because we, we've had lots of years where people were willing to take on debt and, and felt decent about it because debt used to be a lot smaller, right? It wasn't until the 1990s that it became higher. And I have to say that it, it actually, since the 2000s, it, it has been going back down. In the 1990s, debt was the primary, student loans were the primary way that students were financing education. But with all the negativity with student loans, we have seen a, seen a decrease in use of student loans and an increase in other forms of, of financial aid for low-income okay. kids. However, again, the crisis is not only about access to college and, 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 even, and even paying for all the extra things that, that come along with it, but it's also about how you leave college so that you can have an equal return on degree. It's also about how you arrive at college, right? Are you able to take advantage of the opportunity for free college or has your life led you 
because of, I mean, and people are so unrealistic about this. I have to say this quickly. I mean, like, I, I, I haven't really talked about it here, but you can read other places where I grew up homeless. And, and sometimes I had a home was even worse because we had, we didn't have electric. We didn't, we didn't have, you know, heat, water. And we would go over the old days. They had pumps in the parks where you could pump water out. And we'd take buckets over there and pump water out. And so you're telling me as a 10 year old, you know, 11 year old, that, that school matters. But I'm going home to a house where I got to cover up in blankets, where I'm, I'm using water from the pump over across the street to, to clean myself. I have no light. And so I'm using candlelight to uh, read and write. That, like, yeah, yes, I should still work hard, but that's a pretty high bar to overcome, to be honest. Um, and so, and that's just mentally hard. And so, that kid might not invest, and, and, and then the fact of it matter is, is he's going to be going to a school like Beaver Falls, <laughs> where I went to, where the educational opportunities are far, far less uh, available to you. The types of classes you can take, AP courses, and, and the affordability of AP courses, uh, and all that. You, you, you do an AP course, and you got to pay to take the test, which is like, you know, $1,500. So low-income kids block that like, everywhere they turn. There's some roadblock that we're saying overcome it. So when they get to college age, yeah, they're not as prepared. And everybody says, well, financial aid should be meritocracy and based on who has the most merit. But the, how they got their merit is very, very different. I mean, it was so, so that's just not American in the end of the day. And so, yeah, we need a financial aid system that understands that it's not just about paying for college. It's also about equipping kids and putting kids in a position to be ready to go to college. And so we talk about things like children's savings accounts. Now, there are small dollar versions of children's savings accounts and large dollar versions of children's savings accounts. And even the name children's savings accounts can be misleading because it's not about families saving their way to college, but it really is about something we talked about in the first episode, the ability to have this infrastructure in place for government to put money into these accounts, right? For employers, for communities to get together, for a community effort at financing education for kids, because that's what it requires nowadays. For, for, for most of our families, they're not gonna earn enough to pay for college. They really are gonna need these other types of things. And, and they need to be able to grow up with this asset. And so when you give a kid a children's savings account, which is basically in, in a real short term, uh, or simple way to explain it, it's an asset building account for kids. They can get either from birth or kindergarten, depending upon different kinds of programs. A number of states that now have them. And at some point, we'll talk far more about children's savings accounts in upcoming episodes. Uh, but for now, I just want to briefly introduce them, uh, is that you have this account, you have this structure in place that serves as a type of scaffolding that connects you not only in kindergarten, but all the way through graduation and, 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 and into adulthood in its pure form. But in uh, these accounts typically have some kind of initial deposit put in them. The small dollar versions could be anywhere from five to $1,000. In a proposal by uh, Senator Casey, he's putting $500 in the kid's account each year, all the way up until 18. And so they have far more money in that account. It's an investment account. And so that money grows over time. And it's an account, like I said in the beginning, that allows other money to go in there. What we know about these accounts from randomized control trials is that when kids have accounts, and this is even the small dollar version of $1,000 or less, that 
they are more likely to have, you know, improved social emotional development, which we know is a, a strong predictor of later academic success. Their parents have higher expectations for college. Uh, their parents talk to them more about going to college. And so they build this kind of culture and identity around going to college, right? And so what I'm saying in a short version here is that if we could put these accounts in place for all kids, and some states have done this, we, we put an infrastructure in place for the, the federal government, for states, for everyone to contribute to these accounts so they can have a meaningful amount of assets in the end. And by having these assets in their accounts, we not only uh, give them money to pay for college, and it can still be free because we can amass enough money in there for there's it to multiple, be free. There's more than one way to free, in other words. Okay. Right? That's Yeah, absolutely. Right? And everybody loves free. I love free. It's right. hard to say no to free. Right. And But at the same time, it helps these kids engage more in school, do their homework, equipment, you know, see that tomorrow could be actually better through their effort and ability. What will destroy America is when enough people believe that my own effort and ability, that my I cannot on my own change my life outcomes, our whole system, and why people don't revolt is because they believe that their tomorrow can be better. If, and so that's why assets and not is an income approach to, to, to financial aid. Because what have we done? We've started our financial aid now at the time a kid is born, or maybe even earlier. And we're saying, here's, we're thinking about your future as a country. We're thinking about your future as a community. And you can start thinking about your future now in a tangible way because you have this vehicle in place that lets you understand that I have a vehicle to pay for college. It's not just based on my own savings. I have to save and I am going to save, but all these other people are going to invest in that. It's not based on my life circumstances. Even if my family is suffering and poor in many other ways, I have this account that my investment in school can pay off. Then I want to move on quickly. I have suggested that these accounts, or I am going to suggest in this upcoming paper, that that the return on degree is also important. It's not only important that kids arrive to college ready to take advantage of that opportunity, they have to leave college in a position to be able to leverage that degree and use that degree to its fullest. And so we also, our financial aid also has to think about, do kids leave college with some assets? I would strongly suggest, and we'll put links in this webinar, to just read our life stories. We have them up in, in a blog post on our website, on ADI's website. And they're short, easy, easy things to read because it gives you a real concise way of thinking about what it means to leave school with an asset and how that changes how you can leverage your degree, how it allows you to begin to buy a home and, buy, and have less money on it, how it helps you to get a car and do all these things. And so these things are as important as financing education, that that degree be something that the kids can leverage and use to change their life course. So it sounds like, Willie, returning to where I started, like if someone asks you, like, do we have a student debt crisis or like how bad is it? How worried should I be about my kid going to college and having to borrow to go to college? That Like at least a part of your answer to that is that we have a problem with student debt in this country because the way we are paying for college with loans is distorting and hindering how well kids can use 
higher education to pursue their dreams um, and to um, achieve success in this country at every point along the educational pathway from before college and then even if they are successful in graduating and being able to leverage that degree for success. So it's that distortion. It's letting the way we pay for something alter what we can get from it, um, which when you talk about it that way, it sounds so kind of ludicrous and certainly ill-advised that we would let the financing drive the outcomes in the way that we do with so much of higher education. And, and I think I've been wrong in my focus on student debt as I sit here and talk to you in some ways. We really have a financial aid crisis, right? More so than just student debt, because as we just talked about, it's not just about student debt. Like student debt is like, it's the it's the thing that really magnifies it, because it's the opposite. It's, it's not only it's putting you in debt. It's like it's the, like the negative of it. When you should be having some assets when you leave college, you're coming out with a negative. So it's it's the it's the extreme. But don't but understand the free college is a problem too. But it also is a is a vision problem. Because again, we're seeing financial aid, and I've moved around enough to move my camera, uh, as as being uh, something that's just about financing education, but really it's much broader than that. And we'll, we'll say also, it's not, families should think about their own kids, but this is a crisis for America because education plays such a pivotal role and how we've designed our social welfare system. And so we say we put more money in education than we do in financial assistance and other things because kids can deliver themselves through effort and ability in school. And so making that so widely available. But the crisis, you know, is one much larger than that, right? And, 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 and the, we need to understand financial aid as an economic mobility investment. Right, it's an investment in our 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 way of life. It's an investment in giving people a reason to buy into our system and to continue. And we've seen in so many different ways from so many different groups, whether poor white families, poor black families, and everywhere in between. I mean, we see the breakdown in the belief in our institutions. And I'm going to I'm going to tell you, I think this has played a major role in it because people, if you take away that belief that 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 you really can, through your own effort and ability, work in school and get ahead. Why continue to invest in these institutions that we have? Why continue to invest in the America? There's no that future is so important. And I will say that we're going to get into as we move through this series this conversation about income and assets and whether it should be income first or assets first, it really needs to be a combination of the two. When we think about financial aid, think about it in the same way. We not only have to help kids pay for the college, but we have to have them from an early age dream of going to college and it'd be a tangible dream as we talked about in the first place, that like you really can do this. There's resources available to you. There's strategies for you to do this, right? Like they have to, it has to be a tangible dream. And then afterwards, once they go to college, it has to be a tangible that they can, through that degree, change their outcomes in life, right? Have better economic outcomes. And so that's why it's important that they not only have assets 
to go to college, but leave school with some assets in some financial knowledge so they can leverage the rewards and returns and the effort they put in that degree in the same way that others can who have assets when they start off in life, who have financial knowledge and know how to you know, take advantage of what they're getting from their degree. These things are, this is, this is not an individual thing. This is, this is maintaining the American way of life that's faltering all around us. And we can see that everybody can, you can see that. I know you out there listening can see how our system is falling apart. And if we don't start to do something to change that, you know, I, I fear for our kids far beyond whether they can go to college, but what kind of America they will have in the future. Well, I mean, I think that's where we, we end then, Willie. My challenge when someone says, so like, what are you doing about student debt? What should I do about student loans? That needs to be an, invi an invitation to bring them in to changing the conversation um, to really instead of focusing on, you know, this or that um, person's ability to repay their student debt or even this or that policy to provide some student debt relief as, as appreciated as that is for those um, who receive it or buy them, that really we need to focus on what can we do through policy and the creation of institutions and opportunities to change our expectations of what we want um, people's experiences of um, and outcomes from higher education to be, and how are we going to equitably extend those same expectations and outcomes? Um, because if we don't, we're going to have a whole other set of crises um, to be confronting um, beyond um, the strain that student debt um, visits on any particular student. Is there anything that you want to um, say in conclusion, Willie? Yeah, I mean, just one quick thing, and it really came off of listening to you talk. I mean, when we, when we talk to people about student loan debt, when we talk about financing education, we're really talking about saving America in many ways. It's not the only thing that we need to do, but it's one critical thing that we need to do. We need to fix our financial aid system and make sure that people and families can think of post-secondary education as a way to change their lives, that it gives them hope that their effort and ability and tangible hope. And so it's a conversation about saving America and we should think of it that way. While that ends this month's Tangible Hope podcast, we hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please like and subscribe. Like, just wanna let you know that we might have a special uh, episode coming out uh, mid-month in November. Uh, hopefully you'll join us if we do, but we certainly will have our regular scheduled uh, monthly podcast in December. So please, again, like and subscribe and have a great month.